treat this morning. Anybody like treats? Yeah, I like treats. That's what we should do on a holiday, right? Is eat good, good food and treats. I'm going to introduce to you a man by the name of Ed Michelson. Um, Ed is a, is a missionary. I would call him a missionary to India. I'm not sure if he would agree to that, but you're going to hear his story. It's not the typical story of a missionary. You're going to be blown away because when I heard his story, I'm like, wow, if he can come to our church, this is an amazing missions message like you've never heard before. So give it up for Ed. Thank you, Ed, for being here. God bless you. Thank you. Hello. Well, uh, thank you. It is a, a real, real joy to be with you this morning and to be sharing with you. And actually, it's a miracle. It's an answer, of, answer to prayer that I can speak to you this morning because two days ago, I woke up, I couldn't speak at all. I, um, I love to speak about the gospel. I get very excited when I speak about the gospel. As a result, I've been speaking a lot whilst I've been here in the States. That got combined with a cold Don't worry, I've had two negative COVID tests. This is a COVID-free zone. But I woke up with no voice at all. But thanks to the result of many prayers, I'm able to speak to you this morning. Um, It's it's it's, it's very interesting for me to be here at Memorial uh, Memorial Day, this Memorial Weekend. This isn't, uh, it's not a a celebration that we have in the UK. And I was just thinking, what is uh, Memorial Day? And I heard uh, Pastor Greg say, we want to commemorate all these vets. And I thought, wow, a holiday just to commemorate animal doctors. How wonderful. And then I realized, ah, veterans. Okay, so I'm learning, I'm learning some new vocabulary today. Thank you. I've been in the States for uh, nearly three weeks now. I arrived in uh, Southern California, and uh, I saw something which uh, perhaps I'd never even seen before. Something amazing. Think you call it the sun? Wow. It's, it's been years since I've seen that thing, but it was a joy to see it once again. I'm from England where it's very cloudy, very rainy, but lovely to see. To see. So I work two days of work as an emergency room doctor, and uh, that's really a, a tent making uh, profession so that I can do what I do with this uh, mission, this charity, 500k free of charge. Now, I, I live in London, and I, I live in a particular part of London called Woolwich. Do we have any soccer fans here today? Any soccer fans? Anyone heard of uh, Arsenal, the soccer club Arsenal? So Woolwich is the original home of the Arsenal uh, soccer club. Unfortunately, we're quite a poor and deprived part of London, so the club has now moved north of the river and left us long behind. But we are where it began, and uh, don't, you, don't you ever... Uh, forget it. So what is really going to be the core of everything I say to you this morning is this core conviction that there is no treasure on all of heaven, on all of earth that compares to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. Nothing that comes even close, even close. Friends, you know, it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that we were redeemed but with the precious blood of Christ our Passover lamb without blemish or defect friends that is the price that was paid for us and that is the amazing treasure which was redeemed for us 
I believe it doesn't matter who you are, what your name is, where you're from, where you live, how much you're worth, what your status is, what your job is. All of these things may be good things, but they all pale in significance compared to this one detail. Have you had the chance to know this Jesus? To have him live within you? Have you had that chance? And consequently, I believe there is no greater injustice than the fact that so many people in our world live in communities that have never heard the message, that have never heard the good news. That is the fact that breaks my heart. That's what I've given my life to trying to address. I, um, I got very excited about India, and I'll tell you about how that happened in a moment. But what I want to share with you is one detail. And I believe that India is the outstanding need of our time. Why do I think that? Let me tell you. According to research from uh, the Joshua Project, it's a research database, there are more unreached people in the Indian subcontinent, that's India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nepal, more unreached people in this one region than in the rest of the world combined. India is the outstanding need of our time. Not only that, it is the outstanding opportunity of our time. And when I share some of the stories today that I'm going to share, I believe you will see that with me. God is raising up his church in this great nation, sending out workers, sharing the gospel, planting churches. And he's raising up his church around the world to support that and be a part of that as well. So I'd like you to, uh, to turn in your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 5, which is where I'm going to preach from this morning. And uh, the reason I want to share this passage with you is I really believe that this catches a glimpse of why are we so convinced that Jesus is the treasure Um, that surpasses all others. We'll start in verse 18. Mark 5 verse 18. And uh, I just want, as we go through this, the the context is Jesus has just healed a demon-possessed man, cast out the demons. He's going to say one thing to the demon-possessed man and then encounter two other people in the story. Here we go, verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. 
Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see these people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Friends, we see in this story how Jesus encounters three people and how three people are transformed by this encounter. I want to focus first of all on this woman who had the issue of bleeding. For many, many years she had had this problem. She had known sickness. She had known suffering. She had known shame. Such stigma in her community to always have this issue. That was how everyone knew her. That was how she was defined. And yet she saw Jesus. When she saw the Lord, she knew if she just reached out and touched him, that she would be healed. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says to her, daughter, you're Faith has healed you, not by anything she did, simply by believing in the Lord and that simple act of reaching out and touching him. Will you do that, friends? Be released from all the shame, all the sins, all the guilt. Just reach out and touch the Lord. That is what Jesus does for us. Jesus heals the woman whilst he's on the way to Jairus' house. He's interrupted. In the meantime, people come and they see Jairus and they say these, these terrible words. Why bother the master any longer? You're too late. Your little girl is already dead. What terrible words. What despair. But I love this. I love what Jesus says. He says, don't be afraid. Only believe. Friends, haven't we all experienced that? Haven't we all encountered that? With all the fear, all the anxiety, all the uncertainty, all the, un- all the chaos of our worlds, Jesus says to us, don't be afraid, only believe. And then we know that peace which transcends all understanding. Jesus goes into the house. People are laughing at him. What are you saying? What are you doing? But Jesus says, do not be afraid. The little girl is not dead, but asleep. That is the 
power of our God. That is the power of our Heavenly Father. That is the power of the risen Lord Jesus. Even that great enemy, the last enemy, death itself has been defeated. Where, O grave, is thy victory? Where, O death, is thy sting? What words of comfort for Jairus to receive his daughter raised back to him. And now since then, every believer has known whoever we lose, whatever loved one, whatever happens, they're not really dead. They're only sleeping. We will have them again. We will live with them again for eternity with our risen Lord with us as well. Friends, that is the great treasure of our message, of our gospel. The message which transcends all others. I'm going to share a a little bit of my story and uh, how I came to have this conviction. When I uh, grew up, my uh, my parents would get the, the four of us children together every night and they'd spend some time reading the Bible with us, praying with us and reading to us some, uh, some missionary stories as well. I would, I'd like to show you a photo of uh, this story time I had with my parents. Unfortunately, I don't have one, so I'm going to show you the next best thing instead. This is, <laughs> this is bath time. Immediately preceding the story time, me and my three brothers and sisters. So they read to us these uh, missionary stories, and uh, I want to share just one of them with you. Does, uh, does anyone recognize this man? Hudson Taylor, yes, thank you. This is Hudson Taylor. So this man, he literally got on a boat and, and for five months sailed across the world. He arrives in China. There's a civil war going on. Complete chaos, complete anarchy. He suffers greatly when he's there. Even some of his family members die when he's there. But he perseveres and he helped see that entire nation be transformed. And I remember hearing this story as a child and thinking, this man, Hudson Taylor, he, didn't, he, he clearly had something that was worth dying for. But not only that, you read his journal, you read of his encounter with the Lord, the joy he felt, the peace he experienced. This guy didn't just have something worth dying for. He had discovered the secret of really living as well. Purposeful, exciting, joyful lives. And growing up as a, as a young boy, I thought, wow, that's what I want to do. I want to be a missionary just like Hudson Taylor. I I enrolled in medical school for that reason. It was what Hudson Taylor did. I thought it could be useful on the mission fields. I took a year out just before I went to college to get some mission experience. And um, during that time, uh, one day my grand says to me, oh, Ed, there's this uh, Indian missionary guy speaking at our church tonight. Do you want to come along? I said, well, I've got nothing better to do tonight. Okay. So I go and there's this guy who's here. His name's Das and... He's, I go in, he's a very charismatic guy. He says, come to India, come and see the mission fields. I thought, boy, what have I got myself into here? But he starts sharing stories of what these missionaries are getting up to in India. These gospel workers are getting up to in India. And I thought, wow, these sound like the stories that mum and dad read to me growing up. People are leaving everything behind, 
risking everything to go to communities that have never heard about Jesus and proclaim his message. So when he said, does anybody want to come and see it? I said, boy, are you kidding me? I've spent my whole life wanting to emulate these missionaries. You're saying I've got a chance to actually meet them? Count me in. So a few months later, I was traveling around India and I kept having this amazing experience. I'd be in a little village worshipping with a church. This is a little house church in someone's home. And I'd hear them worshipping and I'd say, you know what, I've got nothing in common with these people. Different language, different skin colour, different culture. But as soon as I hear them worshipping, I know that we are part of the same family. I've got more in common with these people than the friends I grew up with in school. And I suddenly thought, Okay, so my family are here in this remote rural corner of India. And it struck me, until five years ago, the gospel had never reached this place. 2,000 years, nothing. But now there's a church here. And I thought, this is history in the making. The gospel has never reached that place, but now there is a church there. That is going to be written in God's history book. So I saw this and I thought, wow, this is, this is so exciting. In fact, this is the most amazing thing I have ever seen. And I had a sense of, wow, I'm not sure these people need me coming to them as a missionary. They're already doing it and doing it so effectively. And I saw this and I said, wow, I want to be a part of what is going on here. How can I help? And I was actually very encouraged by the answer that I heard. They were a bit shy to begin with, but they explained, look, we've got all these people who are trained and ready to go. They're waiting to be sent. But actually so many of them aren't getting into action because their own churches are too poor to send them. Struggling to look after the poor in their own communities and their own pastors, let alone send out other people as missionaries. Uh, And I just thought, that is crazy. You mean the coolest thing I've ever seen isn't happening for money. And I actually found this quite exciting because I was like, wow, that's something I can really quite easily help with. You know, I've just got to go to work. I don't even have to be particularly good. If I'm just there, I get paid. (laughs) And I said, look, how much did these guys need? And he said, well, in your terms, it's about $80 a month. I thought, $80 a month, less than $1,000 a year. I mean, that's a significant amount, but for the thought of what it is achieving, sending someone to an unreached village, I just thought, that's crazy. And I love the idea of, I'm going to be a doctor. I'll live a simple lifestyle as if I was on the mission fields myself, but I will donate the rest and support maybe 10, 20, 30 of these indigenous workers. That was, my, uh, that was my plan. So I, um, I went to, to college, I went to medical school, and at this point I, um, I'm kind of an all or nothing person. When I get behind something, I get fully into it. And I was thinking of all the impact that even just, uh, we call them pounds in my country, just what a few pounds would make. And I thought, well, how can I justify spending money and all these things? I'm going to live as cheaply as I possibly can. You know, I just went completely over the top, completely overboard here. I said, uh, look, I've got clothes. Why do I need to buy any new clothes? These work fine. Anyway, that worked, uh, worked fine for my, uh, my first year at college. Unfortunately, by my second year, things were starting to, to wear through, as, uh, as clothes do. But I said, uh, well, why, why buy new clothes when I can just uh, repair the ones that I currently have? 
So I had these shoes which were starting to separate at the front. And uh, unfortunately, no one had ever told me about shoe glue. So I thought, well, I can repair these. I'll just get some of man's best friends with his duct tape. So I got this duct tape and I wrapped it round and round the shoe. And it did the job. It held it together. Looked kind of neat. Only problem was it wasn't particularly waterproof. And I was living in Wales at the time. It's pretty much the radius part of, uh, of Great Britain. So I just had a permanently wet a right foot for about three months. It was pretty, pretty miserable. But in the end, uh, God uh, provided. That was the beginnings. And uh, as we progressed, as we went forward... Um, People, my friends, other students were asking me, saying, what's this about? What's the deal with the disintegrating clothes and shoes and all of this? And Yeah, I was shy to begin with, but eventually I said, well, you know, I'm trying to help our our brothers and sisters in India who are sharing the gospel but struggling to put a food on the table and a roof over their heads. And when my friends heard this, they said, well, well, you know, we'd love to be a part of that as well and to help as well. And uh, that that was the beginning, really. And uh, from there, things gradually began to grow, and we set up an organization, and more people joined. And one moment, we decided to, to go back out to India. And this was something very interesting. What we saw when we were back out there, we visited one of the training centers. The people in this training center were largely from the newly planted churches in the previously unreached villages. And this really spoke to us because we thought if you can go to an unreached village and not just share the gospel there, but plant a church there and not just plant a church there, but raise up new workers to repeat that process, then you can multiply. You can be unstoppable. And we started to dream. We started to think maybe this could be bigger than just a few of us supporting a few workers here and there. Eventually, we found ourselves asking the question, what would it take? What would it take? Uh, for everyone in India to have the same access to this treasure which we've had? What would it take for everyone in Jesus to have the chance, everyone in India to have a chance to hear the good news of Jesus? That was the question we asked. We did some more research. We figured that there were as many as 500,000 villages in India that have got no Christian presence that are still completely unreached. And we said, well, then that is the need. 500,000 churches one for each of these unreached villages, so that everyone can have a chance to hear the witness of Jesus Christ through their local Christian community. We, we gave that the name of the, the organization. We, uh, we now call it just 500K. The reason for that is we were a bit naive at the time. There's quite a sensitive political situation about sharing the gospel in India, so we don't want to put a big target on our backs. But that was the vision behind it. And really, it's a statement of the need. This is what needs to happen. And this is what we believe God is doing. We're just a small part of this, but God is raising up all of his church to see that happen. And right now, what we've been asking ourselves in the last few years is, how can we expand what we're doing? We've got this amazing leader here, Das. How can we find more Dasses, more leaders in the Indian context? How can we empower as much of the Indian church as possible? I just want to share a story of uh, one of these um, gospel workers. This is a guy called uh, Amrit. And uh, he's from the south of India, but he went right to the north. I love how authentic this uh, photograph is. It has you know, the background of Pakistan written onto it. Amrit, when he went there with his friend, they, uh, this, is, this, is on the, this is on the border. It's an Islamic area. So they had to be quite culturally sensitive. 
So they said they, they got all the local dignitaries and they invited them to a, a party at Christmas time. They said, we're Christians. We like to throw parties at Christmas time. And we do two things. We like to give everyone a slice of cake and we like to give them a present. This is what we do. So here's your slice of cake and here's your present. And uh, it was a, a wrapped up Bible. So they, they finished the party and before everyone left, they said, we want you to remember one thing from today. That when life is bitter, Jesus is the sweet. Just like this cake that you're eating here is sweet. And in this book, this Bible that we've given to you, you can learn all about him. So all the dignitaries went home, the uh, police inspectors and the, the, the train ticket inspectors and the postman and all the chieftains. And one of the chieftains goes home and he takes his Bible and he puts it on the top shelf of his room and he forgets all about it. One evening, he wakes up and he's in a terrible amount of pain in his tummy, in his belly. He calls his people together and he says, you need to get me to the hospital. I'm in agony. And they said, chief, you know the rules. Where they're living in Pakistan, it's pretty much a war zone. There's frequent shelling going on and skirmishes. You know the rules here. There's a curfew. No cars on the road after 9 p.m. If we get on the road, they're going to shoot at us. He said, well, I can't walk. So they said, well, then we're going to have to wait till the morning. So he's lying on this floor and he's in so much pain. And he looks up from the floor and he sees this uh, Bible on the shelf. And he remembers what Amrit says. When life can be bitter, Jesus is the sweet. So he reached up and he took this Bible and he put it on his tummy. And he prayed, Jesus, I don't know if, if you are God, but if you are, Meet me now. Amrit says you can be the sweet. Help me now. Help me through this pain and this suffering. He clutches this little Bible to his tummy and uh, he starts to peacefully fall asleep. He wakes up in the morning. His people rush into his house. They say, chief, we're ready to go. We can take you to the hospital. He says, I don't need to go to the hospital any longer. He sends uh, two boys to go running to the village where Amrit is and he tells them to bring Amrit to him. When Amrit arrives, he says, this is what happened to me last night. I met with your Lord Jesus. I want you to live in my house and to share this message with me. Teach me what was written in this book. But do one thing. Don't tell people the real reason why you're here. I'm going to tell everyone you're here to teach my children English. And you will. But share this message with me. And when people are ready, I'm going to bring other families to come hear it as well. And there's still a church in that community today uh, as a result. Um, I, I'd like to just... I'd just like to share a, a message with you. We've got a video here. I'm not going to share the video because I'm running a bit short of time. But it's about this girl who's just here. This, this woman, her name is uh, her name's Kushbu. And uh, one of our missionaries took the, the gospel to, uh, to her place, to her village. And um, what they often do is they offer to pray for people. That's the, the way in, offer prayer. And uh, India is a very, very religious context, so people always want to receive prayer. And another thing about India is that it's a very, very spiritual context. So people often have encounters with um, evil spirits, and they will go from temple to temple to temple receiving prayer, rather like the, the woman we heard about in, uh, in Mark 5. So when this uh, missionary comes into their village, um, she says, would anyone like prayer? And they said, yes, 
Kushbu, our daughter, she needs prayer. Now, what would happen with Kushbu? She would sometimes lose control of herself, start referring to herself in the third person, cause all kinds of trouble and chaos and upset in her family and in her community. Just like the, uh, the, the demoniac um, in Mark 5, who we started the passage with. So the missionary said, okay, well, we're going to spend a week of fasting and prayer. That's something that's very common in India. Lots of fasting and lots of prayer. So during this week, they're fasting, they're praying. She's sharing the gospel. Suddenly, Kushbu gets it. She, who has caused so much problems in her community, so much suffering, she's the lowest of the low, suddenly hears that God, despite all of that, loves her. And that God himself died to save her. She suddenly thought, this is the most amazing message I have ever heard. And she was delivered from this spirit. And this was the really fun thing. She was so excited by what had happened. She started sharing what had happened with everyone else in her community. And uh, the others in the community, they listened. Because they saw the change that had happened in Kushbu. This was the girl who was causing so much chaos, so much trouble, so much heartache. Now she's telling them about the God who loves them. That is a powerful thing, that, that witness. And as a result, 70 people came to faith in a short space of time. And uh, I love this, this photograph because here you've got 29 of them getting ready to be baptized this uh, gentleman on the right with the Bible, he's sort of a regional leader. And uh, it's quite good fun. They didn't have uh, any, any local water to baptize them in. So they, uh, they, what they do, do is they like, to, they like to grow fish. They have these fish ponds. So they requisitioned the local fish ponds for the baptisms. Here they are uh, being baptized uh, alongside uh, the fish. Yeah, it's, I suppose it's literal when, Peter say, when Jesus says to the disciples, I'll make you fishers of men. <laughs> so uh, where are we at now? Um, this here is a, a map. Each of these dots is one of the church planters that we're supporting in India. Um, by the grace of God, we've been able to see things just take off. In late 2014, when we launched 500K, we were supporting 30 church planters out there, 30 missionaries. At the end of last year, we were supporting 780, uh, grace of God. And uh, the colors on this map represent the different leaders that they are organized underneath. Um, this year, our, our, our big dream, if you like, our big passion, is that we'll be able to release 25 more workers each month. We've been working hard with our existing um, Ministry partners, each of whom is a training center. It's got 25 graduates on average coming out each, uh, each uh, month. And we're onboarding six more leaders this year, six more guys with their own training centers. So in total, that's looking like 25 workers each month, 300 or so. So we've been somewhat daunted by this uh, enormous task. One thing which is uh, really neat is we went to our community and there's some businessmen, very generous business people and professionals in our community. And we said, look, the dream this year is to send out 300 more workers. Um, but this is no, no mean feat. This is no easy thing. Each of them costs us about $1,000 to send each year. So that's more like $300,000 more than what we've done previously. And we said to them, we'd love it if you could support half of that and we'll find the other half. So what they did was 12 of them stepped forward and said, we'll be a match funder for each month. 
So it's like they're saying, we'll support 12 and a half. And if, if another person comes forward and says, hey, I want to give, I want to support, I want to send a missionary, they say, well, for each, each $10 a month or each $80 a month or however much they give, we're going to match it as well. So that's one really cool thing that's uh, going on this year. Just before I, uh, I wrap up, I just want to quickly say that it's my conviction that supporting these workers in India is one of the most strategic things that we can do. They are reaching the unreached. They're going to the poorest of the poor. We're empowering local people, indigenous workers, and uh, our resources can go a really long way. Um, some estimates say it might cost as much as $70,000 to send uh, a missionary from America uh, to India. Uh, so it's awesome to think, wow, well, if we send a, an Indian worker who knows the language, who knows the culture, um, we can send 70 people for the same cost. And not only that, but we can do that. All of you here can reach the unreached, can together with one of these Indian workers reach the village that has never been heard for the gospel, never, never heard the gospel before, even without leaving your homes, leaving your jobs, leaving your families, leaving your community, without leaving this church, because there are needs here as well. You can continue on mission here whilst also reaching the unreached simply by giving. I think that's, uh, that's pretty neat. That's what captured me. Um, just as I'm kind of coming in to finish, I want to just uh, share with you uh, a little story from my own life. Um, so as I mentioned, I work two days a week in the uh, emergency room in my hospital. And uh, my friends often say to me, yeah, Ed, you're only here two days a week. What's going on? What's this about? What are you doing the rest of the time? And I'll, I'll say to them, well, okay, I do some uh, charity work in India. And they say, charity work? What's that about? I say, well, we're um, helping Indian people share the gospel and uh, establish churches. Oh, and they say, oh, that's pretty cool. What, you mean like medical missionary stuff? And I say, no, oh, no, it's not actually medical at all. It's about teaching people about the Lord Jesus and to become disciples of him. And they say, wait, hold on. You're telling people about God? And I say, yeah. And they say, why don't you do something useful? <laughs> and what I say to them is this. I say, that we think uh, as doctors we do something pretty amazing, right? Saving lives. But I say, as doctors, we don't really save lives, do we? All of my patients still die. Every single one. We like to call ourselves lifesavers. Really, we're death postponers. <laughs> we're simply putting off the inevitable. But I believe, and I know that you believe with me, that Jesus Christ and his gospel really can save lives forever and ever and ever and bring life in all of its fullness in the here and the now. I don't know what your experiences are like when you go to the, the ER, but I have never, not once, treated a patient, have them leave that room and say, you know what, today I have found life in all its fullness. Maybe one day that'll happen, but somehow I doubt it. But I've had so many experiences, and I'm sure you have as well, of when someone comes to know the Lord, they say, wow, it was like my whole life was black and white before. Now it has been filled with color since I have met this Jesus. Everything has changed. I once had a friend 
And she had a, she had a, a roommate who was going for a really tough time. She was depressed. And she'd been going to therapy for two years. And my friend took her to her, her small group at church. And uh, they had a time of worship, a time of reading the Bible, and a time of sharing together in prayer. And you know what my, my friend's roommate said after that one session at the small group? She said, wow, that did more for me than two years of therapy. Friends, that is the power of the church. That is the power of our Lord, his Holy Spirit, who is at work in us and who flows through us. I love the the teaching which Jesus gives. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field. When a man finds it, when he stumbles upon it and digs it out of the ground, he sees that he has found such an incomparable treasure that he sells everything he has to buy it. And he doesn't just do that. It says he does it joyfully because he sees the value of what he has found. Friends, that is my testimony. I bear witness to that truth. Those words, I can't see a Bible here, but those words that we read in that book, we bear witness to their truth because that is our experience. And uh, my challenge for you is, how can we respond to this wonderful message? And I'm so moved by what we read in 1 John 3, where he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And, And so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. What a challenge. That is a challenge that Jesus has given to me. It's a challenge that Jesus has given to each of you. How do you respond to the incredible price that Jesus paid for us? The amazing love which he showed for us. And the incredible value he bestowed on each of us. I just, uh, as I, I come into land, um, I, uh, I've got one more story that I want to share. But before I do that, I'm just going to um, let you know how or I'll give a, extend a, an invitation to you, really, um, the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing in India. There's uh, three things that you can do to help. Uh, first of all is pray. Uh, prayer really is the, the boiler house of this mission. There's so many people praying in the church in India. We need people uh, praying here as well. So we have a, a newsletter we send out once every couple of months. We also have a, a WhatsApp group. I don't know, how, I don't think many people in America use WhatsApp, but I, I, very, I really recommend download the app, give us your phone number, we'll add you to it. We share a story about once a week, a story of, like some of those you've heard today, of how God is changing lives in India on the front line. And that's just a, a, really to encourage you to pray. So first of all, pray. Second of all is preach. What we mean by that is help us get the word of what we're doing out there. Uh, there is a sensitive political situation in India, so we don't try and plaster everything we do online too much. So it's very much we grow through word of mouth, through connections, through someone introducing us to, uh, to someone else. Uh, so if you would, if you would like to do that, that's a great way to help us. Hey, we'd you know be in touch and say I'd like to introduce you to someone else or share some materials with them so they can hear about what God is doing. And uh, finally, uh, the third P is provide. Uh, I would love to, if, if the Lord is so leading you, uh, extend that opportunity to you today. 
uh, you can consider giving, and uh, it really is amazing. Um, any amount you can give regularly helps, but uh, $80 a month means we can send another one of these missionaries, and uh, with the match funding as well, it actually means we can get two out into the mission fields, which uh, I think is super exciting. Um, I've left some uh, some connect cards and just a bit of extra information in a brochure. At the back there is a little table by a bowl. If you want to respond to any of those things, pray, preach, provide, you just pop your name and email, and if you want to be on the WhatsApp group, your cell number two on the card, and you can just put it in the bowl there, and uh, that would be really, really lovely. And uh, I'll be around, and I can speak to you afterwards as well. Just to land, I want to share one more story. Um, thank you for your patience. I'm running well over time now, but one more story. This is uh, uh, this guy with the crutches is a guy called Belvinder. And uh, Belvinder, he, when he grew up, he had a polio. So this virus unfortunately devastated his nervous system. So now he has to walk on the, the crutches. Anyway, you can see here, Das again, my old friend. And he was trained at Das's uh, training center. And um, he felt God calling him to go to a place in the north of India, which is known by some as the, the headquarters of Hinduism. You'll see these huge, huge statues of, uh, of gods there. Anyway, he goes to this place and um, he starts sharing the gospel. He starts teaching children um, how to speak English. And uh, before long, their parents say, you're helping our children. You know, these children aren't in school. Um, that's wonderful, because if you have the chance to learn English, indeed, you can make it. Would you like to, to live with us and continue to teach them? And they said, well, we would love to. We would love to move in and, and to help and to teach. So they move in with his family. Belvin is there with his brother, Surinder, the two brothers. They, they move in with his family, and they start sharing the good news of Jesus with them. And this family responds. They accept the Lord. And they start bringing other families as well who also start to respond. Things are going really well. At this point, Surinder leaves. He goes to finish his training. So now Belvinder's there by himself. And this so often happens when uh, the gospel advances, so the persecution can follow as well. And uh, I remember talking to Belvinder, and he told me how people would get drunk, and then they would smash the empty bottles of alcohol against uh, the room in his house. He'd hear them say, Preacher, we don't want you here. Leave our, leave our town. They started to threaten him, saying they were going to harm him, saying they are going to kill him. One time, they, they, they were around his house, waiting outside his house, saying, when you leave, we are going to kill you. And Belvinda, he, he calls his brother Surinder, and he says, brother, I think, I think this time is, it's it. I don't think I'm going to escape. They really mean it. But do one thing for me. If I die here, Bury me here. Don't take me back home to Punjab. I want to be buried here because these are my people now. These are my family. This is my home. The good news is that Vilvinder is still alive with us today. <laughs> he escaped because this family and a few other families that had come to faith, they, they left this house with Belvinder and they made a circle around him and they said to these people who were assailing them, if you want to harm this man, you're going to have to harm us first. And they gave up and went home. And friends, I think that is just such a beautiful picture of the gospel. That though there was so much darkness in that community, that their response to hearing about the God who loves them was to want to commit murder. But even so, 
People from within that community were transformed so that they themselves would lay down their lives to protect the one who brought that message to them. I think that's beautiful. And for me, it's a great big challenge. I'm giving a little bit of my money and my time and my prayer to, to advancing the gospel. But these guys are so often uh, risking their very lives for Jesus. One last photograph. These, uh, these believers here, I, I took this photo. These are the people who exited the house and uh, made the ring around Belvinda to, uh, to keep him safe. Friends, it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, time to get to share with you today. Thank you so much for uh, the opportunity. And uh, I'll be around afterwards. I'll be by the door and there's the connect cards there. Don't forget those. And uh, I'd love to see you uh, again at, uh, at some point. Be blessed. Isn't that an amazing story? Yeah, let's, Ed, could we stand up, Ed? We want to pray with you. Could you come up here? Or just stretch your hand out so we can pray for Ed, pray for 500K. If people want to make checks, is it 500K they make a yep, check to? 500K. Yeah, and there's information in the back. Well, Father God, I thank you for our brother. Lord, thank you for the call you have on his life, God. I, I don't know too many doctors that give up their time and their money to support missionaries in India. Lord, this man truly, he is called to India. God, what he's doing is amazing. And we pray that, Lord, you would, uh, you've raised up the laborers. God, now they just need the funds. Um, it, it's just an amazing story. But, God, we pray for the land of India. We pray for the ministry that, that Ed is working there. God, that you would, you would bless it. You'd pour down a blessing from heaven, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Lord, bless my brother. Give him insight. Give him wisdom in how to further your word in India. So we ask for all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks so much for being here today. God bless you. Have a great Memorial Day. And see you on your way out. God bless.